Hi and welcome everyone. Uh, my name is Stephen Ridgway and this is a uh, Talking VTE uh, number 34 for Friday 29 uh, June 2012. So I guess we should do a bit of a roll call and uh, go around. Uh, as I said, my name is Stephen Ridgway, so I'll start with the face-to-face audience, um, Melanie Dorian. Hello everybody. <laughs> okay, to the online audience. Start Present. <laughs> Yes, I'm in attendance too. <laughs> that is, Michael Coughlin is present, sitting at the same table as Alex, Alex Hayes in Adelaide. In Adelaide. In Adelaide. Sunny Adelaide. Yeah. And uh, Jeff Levick here from sunny northwest of WA. Cool. And Lee, Lee dialing in from Darwin. Uh, Lee and me are the smart people. We live in the warm part of the country. Yeah, well, I'm <laughs> agreed. Happy, I'm, I'm happily, happily changed it all at the moment. That's for mm. sure. All right, well, fabulous. We've got quite a, uh, a mixture of people from across the continent. Uh, this is a, a somewhat a, uh, um, eclectic Robin. session, in part. A uh, yeah, Robin. Robin has uh, Robin has left us, unfortunately. She's gone to do something else. Uh, oh, yeah. So, yeah, an eclectic uh, gathering and, uh, in part, an experiment with Google Hangouts for the, uh, for the uh, podcast. Uh, and also, obviously, Alex, who's in Adelaide, uh, for a, what a bit of a, bit of a get-together with uh, Michael. And what, what are you there for, Alex? Perhaps you might like to kick off with what you're there for. Okay, I'm here conducting and recording interviews with... E-researchers, data ethicists, and um, a number of project teams who are part of the Australian National Data Services $175 million um, projects that are on. And each university has a number of contacts, and they have a community day here to connect around those e-research projects. Mm, excellent. So you're there, mm. with, you're there with Michael, and the, am I led, were you doing a bit of a Taylor get together? Is that the was that a, a revival? Yeah, of we Taylor? did last night. Mm. We yeah. had a great night last night, actually. Yeah, we went to a, a, a fantastic, fantastic hotel, hotel, and then we caught up with Kerry J, Julian Redden from uh, Moodle, and Stefan Schmidt, and Bruce Enting. And uh, quite a number of other people I didn't know. Leo, who were they? <laughs> I know who they were. They were Katrina. They were Ward. Katrina Ward, ex-TAFE SA, who now works with Bright Cookie. And her friend Nikki. Leo's two children were there as well. They were. They were indeed. Yeah, so we had a nice dinner at a Thai restaurant, and I sculled a full schooner in 12 seconds. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. And, and I highly surprised myself. <laughs> they said, oh, we're going to the restaurant now. And I said, hang on, I've just bought this beer. And they said, skull, skull, skull. And I auto-responded, and for some reason, some reason we went out the door 12 seconds later. It was all like we were 20, 20 again. Yeah, they all did. I felt like I was about 100 immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I felt awful all night from then on in. 
<laughs> oh, you might. Oh. Note to self, no more sculling. No, ever. No, not at the age of 43. Alex, what sort of data yeah. are you collecting? Yeah. Or is it top secret? Uh, no, there's an element. There is there's an element of um, data from the geospatial and military that doesn't see the light of any description. But most of it is around universities' e-research data, like the synchrotron, um, um, Geoscience Australia, uh, multiple projects with CSIRO, and, and literally hundreds of... Um, data librarian uh, citation work but ANS is the metadata um, convener and we deal with all 37 universities mm-hmm. and we're part of the Nectar grid which is the supercomputer rollout mm-hmm. and it's predominantly big data <laughs> Sounds like it. So geoscience. So would this have implications for agriculture and mining and water management? Yes. Yeah, all of that. Mm, yeah, all of Fascinating. Multi-sensor, remote sensing networks, you know, Great Barrier Reef. Uh, but there's also a lot of uh, geoscience and geospatial data amongst all of that. So live rendering and of tracking where crocodiles are swimming and... Um, those sorts of yeah, tagged environments, plus a lot of things that we don't see, of course. Mm. Yeah. Where crocodiles swim is a tagged environment? Yeah, they've tagged multiple crocodiles and they're now monitoring where those crocodiles swim in patterns so that they can then predict where the others that okay. aren't tagged are going to go to as well. Also things like, that's good for conservation, like loggerhead turtles and things like that and green turtles that have moved down over the last five years. They've moved progressively towards the south, which has had implications for fishing. I should put them on cane toads. (laughs) (laughs) They probably already have. (laughs) No doubt about where the cane toads are going. They're all coming to WA where it's warm. They're all going, yeah, exactly. Probably Lee knows about cane toads now. He probably would. Probably but would. did you know this? Did you know this? This is a known this fact. This is a known fact. If you kill, if you kill a cane toad, a cane toad um, there is a white is a liquid white that comes liquid out of the back of, of the glands of the cane toad. Mm. And if you get, if you get a, cigarette a cigarette and a pin and, pin and you rub, rub that, that liquid onto the cigarette, cigarette and let it dry out and then smoke it, it is very hallucinogenic. So, well, I can believe that. Yeah, man. Who who decided that this? for a long time? <laughs> who did that like first to find that out? Oh, I really wouldn't know, but you'd have to be pretty crazy to do it. Look at what's led to that. Is that one <laughs> of the? Is, is, that one of, is that one of the tagged crocodiles, Lee? <laughs> I believe it is. It's a, <laughs> it looks like it needs to be tagged. Is that and something? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you're seeing in reverse, of course. So, uh, Melanie, you must have a, must be a great sense of relief uh, having moved on from the role. Uh, yes and no. I think on the whole it's a good thing. Um, uh, a, a sense of, you know, lots of, lots of happy memories, lots of good 
good times, good friends, and and some really interesting work. And I've learned an enormous amount. I can't. I think it's really changed who I am and and what I do and how I think. So that's been really interesting. And I certainly intend to continue with my interest in the area. Um, quite how I'll do that remains to be seen. But um, I think that in the other, on the other hand, it's it's easier to go because so many other people have going or gone, like Alison and uh, Mel Worrell. Um, you know, a number of people have, and Robin, of course, ages ago. So, yeah, it's and it's changed. It's it's not the same as it was, and uh, so it's it's not hard. And the fact that they insisted on me living in Sydney was the 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 killer for me. So the unflexible framework. Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> Melanie, how has it changed you? Um, well, when I came in, I, I knew something, you know, a, a, re, a small amount, really, about e-learning, but it's become... And I remember I used to sit here and staying with Robin and Steph and I'd see them constantly you know in the first thing in the morning Steph would be out reading his blog posts and Robin would be checking something or doing something on the laptop or the iPad or whatever and and I think gee these people just work all the time and we talked about it and they said no it's just part of our life now and I think what's happened to me over the last four years it's become part of my life too um, not perhaps to the same extent um, because I'll still find there'll be times when I'll just quite happily flick everything off and, and just disconnect for a couple of days because I need to. Um, but I think my interest in e-learning, what I have learned has has been a huge advantage to understanding the way in which the world now transacts its commerce, its um, its social communication, its politics, um, its passion, and I really will be really forever grateful for that because I wouldn't have understood that as well had I not been in the framework. I don't think. Yeah, I felt the same fundamental shift. I think after five years with the framework, mm. it made a substantial change in my life too. I became a confirmed and utter nerd. <laughs> I think that's a little bit different from what Melanie's saying. I realise. <laughs> interluding, but I, uh, I'm Melanie. We've watched you grow, mm. and we've watched your conversations change markedly too. Mm. So I remember that there were very different conversations. That ninety percent of your discussions originally were questions, mm. <laughs> but now we've actually been able to, you know. Here's some amazing stuff happening from the projects you've been involved with, and I think that's a great thing. So it's just another learning now, another yeah. move on, and a bit like Lee, he's moved on. What's he doing? Oh, that would what be good doing, to hear. Lee. Uh, sorry, I was just at another screen looking for. Um... Tag crocodiles. No, no. Oh looking for a report from Queensland Department of Education and Training Project with iPads in a trial and, but it was going to be a bit of a change of subject I guess but uh, Darwin is um, it's just nicer, nice, much nicer place than I thought it would be when we first came up to have a look on the outside it's very very rough looking on the outside you know six foot high cyclone fences everywhere and 
very impoverished class of people left wandering around and uh, all that and, and you know, massive houses. Everyone's into their massive houses like there are everywhere else in Australia, I guess. But anyway, the weather really turned us over. The weather up here is just absolutely glorious at the moment. He hasn't been. He hasn't been through the wet season yet. Well, I got, I got, I got the beginning of it, and that was horrific. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the the Jeff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jeff knows all about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I got caught in Darwin during a cyclone. Yeah, he did actually. And you were transmitting it at the time. Mm. So, yeah. Lee, what are you? What, what's your actual role there? Uh, it's the same same sort of role of um, helping people use the internet for teaching online, I suppose. But uh, the only difference this time is I've got a team of people to help me out with it. Mm. So it's making actually all the difference. Um, uh, yeah, we're on the same page. We're, we're actually uh, trying out uh, Google Apps as a uh, way to give us a, a medium between the two environments we're having to work with. We're working with the Department of Education and Training Network, Northern Territory that is, and Charles Darwin University Network. And as you guys no doubt can appreciate, both networks are not quite up to scratch. Uh, And so um, we're using Google Apps to establish our own domain and uh, maybe we get to set up our own servers and just do it a lot more DIY. yeah, and it's, I guess, doing the sort of things that I've always prattled on about, mm. using <laughs> YouTube and Blogger and Wikipedia and all that sort of stuff. It was funny, I was thinking of you today because I was in an Apple presentation and they were pulling up a lot of statistics and uh, reporting about universities that have sort of broken new ground and they mentioned Otago several times and they said that Otago was one of the first to do certain things. So I mm. thought that yeah. was nice. Thanks. Yeah. And it was too. I was speaking with um, Neil Robinson from University of Waikato, Lee. Oh, yeah. He remembers you fondly, actually, from a conference that you attended. He said he walked away having met you for four or five minutes. He said, and he said, and what's happened to that young man? And I said, he's <laughs> up and down and got old. And so on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> grew a mullet. Yeah. He grew a mullet. He's wearing a barbarian. fit in. Yeah, what is. He's going to get his um, little rat's tail with the with the elastic bands, Stefan. Just no tats, yep. please. No, no, no. No tats. And you've got something to announce, Lee. Oh yeah, uh, Sunshine is um, pregnant with our second baby. Three months in, but uh, congratulations. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. it's great. It is great news, and Lee's going to get in Gothic script on both forearms, Eve. And the new babies. <laughs> Just like you, Alex. <laughs> no, I've got the names, but I probably might need them. My memory fails me later on. I'll need to do it on my legs as well. You got four kids, four limbs. That ABC show. Um, what was it called? Uh, Drunk, dumb, and racist. Yeah, yeah so I, I did see that highlighted last night. I didn't watch it though. I turned it off. I thought. I'd oh, you didn't watch it, bro. No, I, just, I don't. I don't need this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. True. So, so Stephen, what's happening in your end of the lane? 
Oh, look, uh, I, I think the VAT sector is going through about a 1 in 15 year um, pivot. Um, so, yeah, yep. lots of very, very challenging space at the moment in the VAT sector and certainly in the, in you know, being in a large um, public sector component of the VET sector, I think probably even more challenging. I think what's happened in Victoria and what's going on in South Australia is uh, is yeah, will will be the sorts of thing, challenges that we'll have to face here in New South Wales. So, yeah, lots of challenges. What's going on there? Can you fill me in? I'm a bit out of the loop. Well, look... Uh, the, I mean, obviously, it's it's initiated in part from the, from the COAG agenda with the the vet, vet reform agenda, the entitlement uh, model, the entitlement model. So, uh, it's 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 a move towards uh, contestable a contestable funding environment, uh, in which students are, are given um, money, basically, on one in the cert two and cert three space where they're given money and they can and they can shop around to any any RPO. Um, the old shopper dockets. Shopper docket across borders. Um, yeah. No. What's that? Well, actually, cross, cross borders. No. Only if you've got to live. Well, in the in the South Australian model, you have to be living in South Australia to attend a South Australian vet course under the new conditions. Ah, so right. The GS well, orienting you. Because I think the money's doled out on a state by state agreement basis. Okay. But if you're studying predominantly online... I don't think anyone's thought about that. <laughs> no, it's an, it's oh, a really on. obvious hole in the argument. The internet the internet is here. Mm. We're talking through it. Because <laughs> I can really see at some stage in the, in the not-too-distant future that <clears throat> all those limitations about the borders are going to disappear. And if students are going to, have to shop to, around too. for training, they'll be able to shop around anywhere they like. Wherever they want. Yes, it's well, an interesting They've been doing it already. already. I mean, I mean we, we have a bunch of people who are right now living outside of South Australia. But is it tomorrow, whenever July 1st is, those same people mm-hmm. have to, to get, get special permission, permission to continue, continue the course, the course they're, they're doing now. now because they're not living in South Australia. Oh, that's ridiculous. It's good, isn't it? Is this going to be the student-proof fence? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I that's like That's a it. good one, Melanie. <laughs> student-proof We can, can mythalise that. <laughs> that's a great one. <laughs> that's where the internet stops. <laughs> You could have a giant kangaroo mark the internet yeah. bounding over it. That's right. Then there'll be horror stories of distance. Why don't um, prevent Australian students getting the best education and training they're able to get? And there'll be stolen generation children following the student proof fence home. There'll be all sorts of sequels and stories and terrible. But I like that analogy. I reckon we could write a book about that. And print it on paper. The only way that I can read it. Sort of, I guess. Um, no, I've been uh, collecting up all the old essays and uh, blog posts 
in the same process that the Lulu book thing went through. But um, yeah, I suppose it is to produce another Lulu book, but then hopefully to get credit somewhere for a PhD for whatever that's worth these days. I really think RP and a PhD by RPL. <laughs> but I do like the way that you structured your website, your blog, because it, it is, is actually very impressively laid out. Yeah, but that's only the old essays. I haven't gone through the blog to get what would be... Um, Prime articles. It would, could be brought in as essays, you know, padded out a bit more. Like of that. course. But did you enrol? No, not yet. Not until I know I've got what it takes. <laughs> How are you going to find that out? Oh, you know, you guys will tell me. <laughs> I've told you how to do it. You just—it's the first thing is motivation. Second thing is what's the question, and the third thing is where's the where's the schizoid supervisor that you're going to engage? <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait for Alex to finish, and then he could be your supervisor, Lee. <laughs> now there's a, there's a scary thought. There's your not schizoid supervisor for sure. <laughs> That's it. Not that I'm suggesting that by any um, stretch of the imagination, it's schizoid. I'm the schizoid. But when I do watch Katina standing on a TED Talk stage talking about microchipping humans... That was a great video. Oh, God. God. No, it's no, not. It's not. Yeah, no, to, she's I not an actor. actor. I have to catch up with her. Yes, she is. You did a great job. Hmm. That was even mentioned at the oh. conference the last few days. It's... It's um, it's the scariest video I think I've seen in a long period of time. Because because the person that I know is the person that's actually doing it. It's one of the more engaging TED Talk videos I've seen. It's very. Um, anyway, I yeah, it just I'm just having. What? So she's not that. sincere. Yes, no, she's very sincere. She's from very the heart. That's what makes it so engaging. It's definitely from the art. She she does the five hats scenario, and she assumes one as a kid in and twenty years time. Great job of it, and that's yeah, yeah, great job of that. I plant the I plant. My I plant. I don't need to pay for anything, or it, you know, it, it tracks me. I giving the scenario of what that was like. Sorry, I'm explaining to Michael here, but you should just go and watch it. Well, they can hear us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was... Anyway, Jeff, what's happening your way? What are you up to these days? Me? Well... <clears throat> You're monitoring people. I'm happily working away up in the northwest. I'm doing... Um, what do we call it? Uh, 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 safety compliance. Which is what an interesting thing to do in the mining sector. Yeah. <laughs> what about what a contradiction in terms. God almighty, some of these companies that, that talk up safety to such a huge degree and then do all sorts of things within the workplace that just throw it out the window. Because um, because it costs too much money or it slows down production. Yes. Because in the long run, all they really care about is um, is production. So, yeah, I'm up here doing 12-hour days, four days on, four days off, um, which is um, <clears throat> quite an interesting roster to do, but definitely um, learning what it's like to be, I guess, one of the, the, uh, one of the people involved in that second tier of society that you hear them talking about, the, the FIFOs. 
mm. although I'm not yeah. a FIFO because of where I'm working and the income I'm on, mm. um, definitely puts me up in that, that second tier. And uh, even in the, the town here where I'm living, um, Dampier and Rafa, you can definitely see the, um, the disparity that it causes across the community. Of course. Um, and you've got some good news too. And that is that I've tested your good news today. They, I've loaded uh, the, the stream folio app to my phone. Ah, fantastic. And we finally managed to get um, uh, Leo and the boys to complete the stream folio app for our, um, our platform, and it's just fantastic. Really yeah. quick and easy to be able to load and share video directly into, into the stream folio platform into the L. And yep. uh, just works so well, and with the the video that you can take with um, with a HD or the iPhone on HD, uh, the video is just amazing. It's just beautiful and so quick and easy. So it really it, it, it sort of ties Streamfolio now definitely into mobile devices and mobile education, which was the area that we always really wanted to be able to head into, knowing that that's ultimately going to be one of the 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 uh, premier platforms that's going to be used for, for both distance and, and I guess mainstream education in the not too distant future. And we've got some yeah, new camera glasses. We've yeah, some new camera glasses. <coughs> that are yeah. just as good true HD camera glasses with a wide angle lens and uh, completely redesigned. And again, the video that comes off these is just beautiful. Just, um, mm. It's really taken us into the next level now where we really feel confident that the, the platform that we're building and with these these peripherals added onto it will really mm. go a long way towards meeting the needs of students and, and teachers in the future. And the big thing about it, what I'm interested in where I'm sitting, is around what data can be scraped from these... Uh, uploads, particularly geospatial data, EXIF and all of the other data sets that attribute any digital information and I think as I've presented at NVELS 2011 mm -hmm. was that I think educative arrangement using data sets that show the location of students yeah. and we're talking about fences here but as a student uploads a video it shows the timestamp Hmm. All the metadata that they is human made, and there's a whole range of automated data that comes with that device, and it proves that the student was at that point at that time shooting that video, hmm. doing those things, and that will become the new the next level of validation. Yeah, won't happen for a while. Well, we saw that with the Google's um, Google Glass announcement. Mm -hmm. I mean that was really it was a, a lot of it was uh, smoke and mirrors, but mm. I think it does definitely point to the future. I think that those technologies will mature and become um, become every day. They've just taken on someone called Thad, and I can't remember his surname. He's been wearing a camera and a, and a sort of computer pad on his thigh for some years, and he's just taken over that project. So they're expecting some some rapid movement on it, I believe. Mm. In, in the fire region. I'm just going to say, you wouldn't get much rapid movement there, would you? <laughs> do you know, do you, does anybody know who I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do know who you're talking about. Thad. And and he's Thad. teamed up with the, with the, the Microsoft the <laughs> the mic, um If you go to ubervalence.com and scroll down four or five posts and have a look at 
the Microsoft bloke that's been wearing the life flop over the last 24 years or something. Yeah, he I mean, is scary. He is seriously scary. What they're talking about with that guy was um, this was an, an augmented reality that was done. A really good presentation this morning from a, an outfit called Mob. Um, based here in Sydney and they had everybody running around taking video and then overlaying augmented reality on it um, oh, and yeah. then I think it was they were talking about what the it's not just about augmented reality it's about the augmented coordination of, of mm. ideas as well um, mm. Jeff and I have talk, talking about Wikitude overlays on our app so that when you move into a certain location yep. you are prompted with a message that says please shoot a video that details ABCD it's about where you are in relation to the prompt that the educator or trainer has left for you in time is that what you were talking about Mel this coordination of um, augmented reality I didn't quite catch it it was more about that they were giving the example that this guy, because he wears this eye and carries this sort of, you know, highly organised sort of um, mini computer sort of thing at a, at a very close level always, um, he can, if he meets you in the street, he can recall, he can call up the data instantly of when he last saw you, how many children you've got, what their names are, what you discussed at your last meeting. So it gives him an advantage and I think that's what they were talking about. It wasn't so much the augmentation of reality. It was. It was an. It was. Well, that's augmentation. It is. Yeah, I suppose. So that's what they were talking about. And and. Mm-hmm. Um, or real-time data management. Yeah, yeah, but they were kind of hinting that it was deeper than that. And I'm not. And was it based on facial recognition that they that the, yes. that they were drawing? Yes, because he's wearing an eye camera on one lens mm. on 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 one side. Well, that's Google Glass, isn't it? Mm, yeah, it's Google Glass. Essentially, it is. It's yeah. Google Glass, isn't it? Well, like that calling up means just... that the converge, convergence of Steve Mann's theories... Essentially, Steve Mann's stuff's all come alive. And that, that article that he wrote recently in... Um, I can't recall the article. It's, I've got a blog somewhere. Uh, speaks that he basically has given up on the whole thing because it's all become real. He said, I was prototyping... And, and the reality is that within a very short period of time, this will be all commercial. Mm. And everyone will be wearing these devices everywhere, and it will become faddish, and it will also become part of the a, a, a standard livable reality. It will no longer be just a So are we a outsourcing joke. our memories? Well, if you look at the nectar, cra- nectar cloud and you look at you know the Google computer that recognises cats and so on, yeah, we are. Mm. Well, we already do that anyway with YouTube yeah. and any uh, other media, <clears throat> media management system on the web, because really that's all that is about, is outsourcing memories or making memories accessible to everyone else. Mm. It's just whether we admit to some Melanie to the... I mean, I've spoken with Julian Ridden. I was very surprised actually with Julian's conversation last night. He was getting right into it. And 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 I remember now when I had that conversation with it all Hallows School at Moodle Moot a long time ago, and he said, "Well, Moodle's a brand." And he said, "I was very heavily invested in breaking Moodle, and I still am. You know, hacking it and and changing it, and the brand has just employed me now." He said, "But I've always had a great deal of interest in augmentation and a great deal of interest in transhumanism, and it's only a matter of time before." He said, 
everything. We are transhumanists. We are now wandering around with a device. We feel uncomfortable if the device isn't with us. Our services are arranged by what we add to our device. We're, we are there. We can't deny it any further. It's just how comfortable we feel to announce that we're a transhumanist. So. But on the on the human scale, right? You know what we're doing right here now is nothing different to what we were trying to do back in 2004. So okay, Google Glass has come along and it's been in sci-fi fantasy for a long time. But how long would it take for this to actually come in to our realities in in a in a practical way? Uh, it, you well, know, it may take so long that it might not ever happen really in in any think- way everyday scale I think Stefan's right I think Google Glass at the moment is nothing more than smoke and mirrors it's an idea it's not reality Mm. it's what they would like to happen but uh, I don't see any of the video that was taken in that YouTube clip that Alex was showing that was actually taken with a um, uh, a miniature head-worn camera or a a, a pair of glasses when the video was too sharp and most, no one's yet, other than the military's, got uh, a transmission gear that's capable of transmitting that sort of data live. Mm, across that. But With who that knows? Google, detail, Google's got some big engines, though. Yeah, well, they may have some big engines, but um, it would still take an awful lot to put that together, and, and I just don't believe it's there yet. I think it's an idea that they'll be working on for a while. It's nice to get the idea out there, get your brand associated with it, but I don't. Th- I think it's a long way from being available to anyone. Well, it's like a little mini. It's like a little mini landing on the moon hoax. That that, that video. Eh? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it comes, it comes back to use and purpose, doesn't it? I mean, it does. we've all found a thousand and one uses for iPhones and iPads and those things because they actually extend our communication and enhance it and make it easy and simple. But. Uh, there have to be a real value in those those sort of you know those sort of that sort of technology and unless you're a fighter pilot or perhaps a, you know I mean maybe in a car yeah there's a safety aspect but I really can't see what else it could do. Well, see, fighter pilots are obsolete pretty much. I think the the, the American military will the next planes they build they won't have pilots in them. Mm. So that already done, Stefan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, XR48. They've got way beyond those um, those observation drones. I'll tell you what, the, the, the 44 people that were in my presentation the other day, as soon as I flicked that slide on, everyone was pretty quiet. All ice, no man, 44,000 pounds of payload. <laughs> yeah, but all, I mean, it's very scary, that. It's very, very disturbing. You know, it's about executing people around the planet. Yes. Well, but they've been doing that anyway. You know, you, we, we hear arguments coming through from, from some of the, the Islamic countries where those drones and stuff are working, and that's exactly what they bitch about, is that, that they just come in and, and kill people. It's still people flying them. They're, they're not robotic drones. They don't get uh, programmed up and sent out to do, do a job, sure they stuff up and, and, and shoot the wrong people, but there's still people sitting in a cockpit flying those planes exactly the same as there is with a normal plane. Mm. The only difference to the X is that they can send those planes out without a pilot in them and they can afford to lose the plane. They don't care about the plane. In the long run, all they care about is the safety of their their pilots. And if mm. they don't get killed doing the job, and that's the whole idea of the development of these things, was to remove 
the danger to the crews mm. in these aircraft. I, 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 don't, I see where you're coming from, Jeff, and I, and, I, and I agree with you. I mean, these. what's interesting is that you've got people who now uh, they have a day job and they go to a container in a desert somewhere, they fly these missions, they kill people, they go home mm. to their partners, mm. um, they watch television, uh, they see their children, and then the next morning they go out and kill more people. Uh, I think that is a very mm. different uh, type of warfare, uh, really. Well, I think it's quite new, that type of, that sort of thing. Maybe, well, maybe not. not really. Not really. I mean, well, no, it's a mediated experience again. Pilots jumped into B fifty-two bombers and flew halfway around the world and dropped a load of bombs and mm. killed a heap of people and flew home mm. and then drove home from the base back to their family sure. and um, spent a couple of days and then went out and did the same thing again. It's just taking the technology to the next level to enable. <coughs> Yeah. I guess it to happen yeah. more efficiently. I mean, and logic that's what's scary, logically, so Jeff, you're right, but I think there's still an emotional connection between mm. it's your finger on the button in the plane. Yep. And you can see that explosion beneath you. You can see what's underneath. You can see maybe even schools and hospitals, but no, you have to press the button or something. So we saw that with, the, so we saw that the, with the, WikiLeaks, the WikiLeaks video of the helicopter, yep. a gunship that yeah. basically shot all those journalists that's true. And, and all those children in that bus. And that's what those people see every day mm. when they go to work. They go to work and they murder people. But that wasn't a, a drone? That was piloted. No, and I think Jeff's right. At the end of the day, there is a human at the end of the trigger mm. button. Mm. I think we need to go back a couple of centuries and stand on the top of the hill and 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 order the thousand soldiers down the hill to engage and get, you know, chop the village up and then order them back. I mean, no, that's pretty no, much the no, same no, thing. No, no. What, what, what has got to happen is men have got to stop participating in the panoply of violence. And because women. It is, well, and women, but, you know, I think yep. at the moment, largely, it's probably old men who are, who are uh, sending, sending um, predominantly young men into war. But you're right, increasingly women are, in, 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 you know, sucked into this vortex. But people Pop have to up, say no to this. We're not going to participate in this. Just plug it into there. Yeah, you're right, Stefan. And ultimately, but ultimately, in the long run, it does come down to politics, doesn't it? Politics and, and 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 commitment. Well, if you work for if you work for a military in a first world country, you're a paid killer. I mean, that's just my view. Mind you, this brings us around to something that um, that was mentioned yesterday. Back to education. Talking What's about. What's going on there? Sorry, Melanie. That's all right. What are you guys doing down there in Adelaide? The Adelaide connection's gone feral. Uh, <laughs> just uh, putting plugging, plugging into, into the, the power, power board. That's all. Alex is running out of power. I see. It's a grid issue. I don't know where Alex was sitting. You see, uh, you people need to be more professional. That's what you need to be. You need to be more professional down there in the Adelaide. With your audio. <laughs> I was just, I was just looking at Panoply. <laughs> you should see the setup here. It's Tech Central. <laughs> <laughs> we 
Stefan with his little tech empire. That's right. That's right. It's what makes a good podcast. That's right. Forgets to plug their laptop in. Now you can see the fire on Alex's view. So, I'll cut that bit out. <laughs> you leave it right there. <laughs> I don't. I don't mind being accused of being unprofessional. <laughs> uh, no, neither do I. It was. It was interesting in Pesci's talk yesterday. He talked about hyperconnectedness leading to hypereducation, and that we won't have, we'll only have tasks, gigs, and maybe a few longer-term jobs. There'll be um, people will opt in for small, short courses, probably online, and maybe some longer, slower courses through a, a web interface, and that's the future. Everybody becomes a teacher or lecturer or a trainer to everybody else mm. in the long run. Everybody is capable of providing a degree of training or education to anyone. Connected. I mean, but, the government even talks about that now with their um, uh, MBM proposal. But not all the trainers are created equal. No, that's right. But anyone, it doesn't matter whether you're equal or not, anyone has the capacity to put something out on the web that's available to everyone else, everywhere, or almost everyone in the world. Well, that's, that's, access a, to the web. that's a Khan Academy sort of model, isn't it? And it yeah. is. Mm. That's the I, do, I do urge you to go to epic2020.org <coughs> and mm. click, on the, click on the Academy tab. And have a look at all of the initiatives that are occurring that are past the MOOC model. Yeah, I've seen that video. Mm. Like, as a, as a question, Stefan, what is the requirement, the educational requirement, to be a lecturer in TAFE? BSZ4760. And vocational competence and experience. That's Unless it's specialised and, and they even, need it. And even that's not necessarily enforced. There's actually no requirement to um, have any qualification to teach in TAFE. The only so requirements that are there are basically imposed by the individual institutions themselves. Uh, the real no, requirement is to actually have a qualification in assessment. No, that's, that's changed under ASPA now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Carry on. ASPRA's mandates can actually veto the qualification uh, and also render mute the RTO that ever issued it with one instance now. You just go into the LinkedIn vet profile leaders group and have a look what, um, what's that uh, um, leading consultant's name? Michelle Weaver? Um, no, no. Um, Wendy, Wendy, Wendy Perry, 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 no, yes. Wendy Perry. Yeah, follow the Wendy Perry, Perry conversations on that one. Yeah, yeah, they're quite interesting actually. LinkedIn, good group that one. I think, uh, I think what uh, Jeff is alluding to though is uh, is this this idea that's out there at the moment, particularly articulated in the higher education arena, that um, uh, there will be individuals who are able to gain. Uh, 
significant students uh, and significant um, crowdsourced, I guess, uh, credibility uh, through a whole, you know, sort of you know, ranking or or just sheer numbers. Uh, the, you know, the whole idea of just getting a huge fan base, and industry will come to recognise that. Will will give it a credibility, and that people will be able to. Uh, you know, be able to provide education outside institutional uh, frameworks. You know. Yeah, and what about, was, mo- what, yeah. About this, what about this movement at the moment with like seek.com.au? Mm. They're cutting out the middleman. They're cutting out the role of the vocational training element. Yeah, they're essentially exactly. becoming the trainer and passing that individual through directly to the point of employment, rather than. It's sort of almost ignoring a qual. If you can gain enough credits to be able to impress the employer, it's a hand-through. It was tried in TAFE unsuccessfully. unsuccessfully. Theoretically, anyone can set up training and offer it through SEEK. And then it's just exactly what Stefan was uh, saying. And then SEEK becomes the long-heralded broker between trainer, trainee and um, employment. I mean, will the role of educational institutions become more about assessment and credentialing uh, rather than providing training? And what will the impact... I mean, I think back to some of the educational experiences I had at uni and, um, yeah, I could have done a lot of it in an online situation had that been there. But it was things like some of the personal feedback and the chats and the conversations that you have with tutors after class that are the things that actually stick in my memory. I, th- I think I think this whole idea of on- online is not not the issue here, although of course it's at one level. But the issue is that um, uh, expertise and teaching uh, become separated from, as you say, credentialism uh, or you know or, or, or certification, um, and that that holds the whole idea of now in the university sector in America of badges as opposed to degrees and it's interesting yeah, yeah. yeah so you'll be That's able to get your knowledge from anywhere yeah and then just front up to have it have it assessed yeah, have it accredited. Yes, that's dead right. Well, I think the only and, uh... and one of the big drivers for this is that um, that industry in their requirement, skills requirement, and, and particularly within within specialties, um, have gone way past the ability of a lot of educational institutions to provide training in that. I mean, there are so many skill sectors out there now that just don't oh, exist in any training institution. So yep. you said the training packages are basically not keeping Absolutely. abreast. They're not keeping abreast of the, of the development within industry. No, because change is just as rapid there as anywhere else. Mm. Generally speaking, And in yeah. some cases, more rapid. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of logical that if that would be the case then... Mm. Oh, training but, packages are, you know, in a way, they take so long to develop. By the time they develop, they're out of date. That's been, mm. you know. And it's not just even the training package. It's the, it's the curriculum and the, the vehicles around them, delivering content that, that take a long time. And, and I guess that's what I was getting at before when I was saying that anyone can be a trainer because in the long run, the only thing that's really important is is when you get RPL or credentialed, 
is that you actually be able to demonstrate you have the required skills and knowledge to achieve the outcomes to get that accreditation. Where you did the learning is utterly irrelevant. Inconsequential. Mm. Unless yeah. geolocation creeps in. <laughs> that student preference. But that's really interesting. It's an obvious thing, Jeff. Mm-hmm. That in the, I mean, that's the way it is in the vet sector. But in the uni sector, you know how they have that every year they rank Australian universities and a degree from this university is worth much more than a degree from that university. And that's kind of accepted as as normal and even kind of natural and a good thing, you know, encourages competition. Whereas in VET, it's everybody's the same. Well, it's because in Australia there are three tiers of universities. There's the G8, who are predominantly research universities, and there are the second-tier universities who are longer established uh, but are predominantly student number crunching, and then there are the third tier of emergent um, universities, and the emergent universities have the VCs and who have no very little middle middle management, run lean, and are highly social mobile. They're the ones that are going to jump frog the second tier. So where does social fit into the firewalls that are being punched in? What does that mean for accreditations? Well, it's the nimble ones that are able to offer the assessments. And, um, like, you know, the the one, the nimble one is, uh, for example, CDU, and it's so far the only university that offers RPL for PhD thing in, in it for a real case scenario. And uh, the rest of a PhD by publication, but you have to enrol, start, and then you have to produce all your publications in the period in which you've enrolled. But CDU accepts anything that you've done prior to enrolment. Mm-hmm. So that's a nim- an example of uh, RPL for which a PhD is nothing more than a, tr- a qualification to be an academic. It's, a, it's an employment qualification like anything else offered in the vet sector mm. a nowadays. Ca- a career that's almost obsolete. Mm. Yes, exactly. Mm. Yeah, Michael, you were we were talking before about that cross-border issue, and you were talking yep. about um, TAFE SA and and uh, to actually undertake training at, at, in TAFE SA, you have to be resident in the state. I assume that's only for public institutions. It's the new, it's the it's the business rules of the new skills for all regime. So, so even private RTOs have to have to adhere to that. If they are, want to be registered as a skills for all provider and therefore have access to all the new funding, yeah. Wow. So a full fee, a full fee paying student will be able to not obviously move across borders, but a one relying on government subsidies for their training or their yeah. degree won't be able to. So much yeah. for a free market economy. <laughs> you know, with social Darwinism dressed up anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's so, good. Melanie, whereabouts are you heading to? You said you're going north. Yep. Are you going as far as Darwin or further? <laughs> no, just as far as uh, Danoon, just out of Lismore. And uh, I'm going to take some leave, maybe do some travelling uh, later in the year. Friends have invited us to go stay with them in France, and my son's in Boston and he wants us to come and visit. So I'm thinking about taking a leaf out of Mike Coughlin's book and seeing if I can do some 
interviews with some thought leaders if I can get entree. Uh, Larry Johnson said he might be able to help get us some contacts at Harvard and MIT to do some interviews. So that would be exciting if that comes off. Um, do it. Sorry? Do it. Do it. Yeah, I'd love to. Don't. It's not an if. Just make it <laughs> Make it definite. Um, yeah, so I've got a job to go back to, but it's not one I want to do. But I think what I'll do now is maybe go back, after we've had the, the trip, go back part-time to that job and see what I can pick up and in the e-learning space. Mm, so no consultancy with a couple K? Oh, yeah. Well, that would be consultancy with a capital K. And, and if there's anything around or on offer, I'll take it up between now and then if I can. <laughs> Especially if it's virtual and through Google Hangouts. <laughs> can, I just, can I just check with other people? You could be the, the quality with the capital K consultant. <laughs> can I check with other people in the room? Is, is anyone else's uh, computer fan really cranking? Like, is, is this Hangout really making your computer work over time? No, nah, it's pushing Michael's to the... Yeah, to yeah right but I've got a tiny little EPC. Almost yeah. an OLPC. Well, guess what, Lee? Yeah? Um, Myrtle Man was saying that he did a project in Fiji with OLPCs. And guess what happened to them all? <laughs> they all what? twisted and buckled and experienced the same thing you did. Mm. Yeah, well, my, my voice is in the record for calling that, I guess, for whatever that's worth. Mm. So they've got uh, young Aboriginal kids in um, Queensland uh, getting badges, I guess, equivalent to badges for being mechanics on the um, the XOs, the oil PCs now. Really? Yeah. So they'll know how to you know, fix and replace parts on a computer that no one else knows anything about. Well, better than Apple. There's only one place you can get them repaired, in the yeah. tip. <laughs> hey, on, on the uh, subject that you guys were talking about, um, you know, where everybody gets their learning done and stuff on the, basically the network learning model, which was well described mm -hmm. in the 70s. I don't know why we're not referring back to the more. It's just faster um, now. <laughs> yeah. The thing, I've, just just sort of like reflecting on us, you know, we've been hanging out more or less since 2003, trying out these things and supporting each other's learning in various ways through this space. But what what about like Stefan? You looked at solar panels um, recently. I looked at biomass heat transfer and stuff, and it it just for me it wasn't the same experience, right? It wasn't the same finding new energy. It was basically finding the record and the footprint of other people who had gone before, but I wasn't able to get in and have a face-to-face -face, like this, I mean face-to-face -face, conversation with people who shared the the new um, the newness of it all. It mm. was all kind of people knew everything about it, right? Mm. And so in a way it was a lot more um, I don't know if it was less learning but it was more stale and doesn't hold your attention compared to what we've got with, with us and it's always new and we're always trying things out so basically I'm wondering about that idea of us learning from everyone else in the network but what about when you can't break the ring, I think they call it the ring, when you can't find the active circle who is talking and dealing with these things and you can't find a way in on the whole thing and this is one of the criticisms about MOOCs is it's a, it's a clique that you can't get in on and so you can't feel that 
in it together, learning experience, like what of the those classrooms and all that sort of stuff. That's quite a loss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Value the space. It's an interesting, interesting point, Lee. Well, speaking of thought leaders, yeah, if you create more, if you if you mass and you create MOOCs, those thought leaders get lost in the in the, in the, the milling mass. Oh, do they? I think they've got celebrity status. I tried to post about that last year. Um, uh, you know, cult of uh, cultism is going on. It's really in the MOOCs. We, there's the MOOC, and there's the person who runs the MOOC, and that's all we know about it. I don't see. I don't see the long tail being drawn out of these MOOCs. Do you think you end up with group with MOOC think? Yeah, I, I think and cults and cults. I mean, that's the risk with MOOC uh, groupies. Yeah. No, I think that Sorry, is, that, no, no, no. I, I think that is the risk of uh, where everything's opened up um, and the institutions disappear, and it's all about crowdsourcing the best training. Then you do run the risk that might be charismatic trainers that you know celebrity type phenomena emerging. The Anthony that's Robbins not, of training. That's nothing new. Anthony that's that's nothing new on the American American model, like uh, the cult of MIT, the cult of Harvard, the cult yep. of so and so, and universities of Australia are trying to do the same. Absolutely, yeah. No, no I agree. But I suppose I guess. So, Lee, what's your point there about how we've been hanging out together for all these years, and that I'd say have learned a great deal from each other? Are you finding in other spheres that you don't have that same spirit of sharing and, yeah, I guess that's it, spirit of sharing. The spirit of sharing is there because there are people who are recording what they're doing and posting it. So like Jeff said, as you you know, you, you, you guys know, you search for anything about how to fix your fridge, for example, and so there's 300 videos on YouTube, take your pick. Thanks very much for the generosity. But it's yep. Actually, Lee, we, kind of... uh, we did that quite recently and it worked. But yeah, yeah. They, we fixed the fridge here. And I found how to put it back together. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, just carry on. Sorry, we just, it was rather pointy. Oh, well. We took photos, we took well, Stefan's yet to move his server to the cloud. No, no. It's still sitting there no. whining away in the background. Carry on that point. Just Meanwhile, Lee Blackhole. No, Lee, would you, you, well, just, you just struck a point with us with fridges, yeah. that's all. Well, I'm not sure what the point is, but I guess one of the consequences of the observation is that what happens when this energy that, you know, the reason all those fridge videos are on YouTube Maybe because YouTube's new as of 2004 to now, and those people who post how to fix it might just start tailing off, and then the people who have a vested interest in putting the fix it will start to, pep. you know, we're seeing we're seeing YouTube get a lot more corporate, more, more corporate channels, more endorsed videos, and mm. and all that sort of stuff. So it, we may fall back into the same place, but less the public institutions. Um, unless we can, I suppose, encourage the public institutions into this space, but it's almost too late because we lost the public institutions long ago. Uh, we, we just kid ourselves to think they still exist. Yeah. But, um, you know, so I'm just trying to think of the consequences of that, trying to observe the, uh, the, the reality of it all, I suppose. What, what I don't I'd know. like yeah. to think that is, is if it became too corporate, we'd end up with WeTube, a new version. Hmm. 
I think the great thing about YouTube is that it's just been so easy to put stuff up. And and this idea of crowdsourcing knowledge is a really powerful thing, is that actually experts, if you, if you get a whole series of experts together, uh, you won't get the right answer. But if you crowdsource it and you, you get enormous diversity in the answer, uh, you will get a really good a really good answer. Often, you know that that what's his name, Sawicki, crowd crowd sourcing uh, or crowd wisdom of the crowds. Yeah, James Sawicki. Yeah. And I think uh, there is something about YouTube. There is there, YouTube has tapped into that idea of emergent knowledge, or or that there, there's a little bit of the answer everywhere. Mm. We, uh, I mean, but then. On things of deliberate knowledge, YouTube's definitely the case. So you must have experienced with your solar panels. I've certainly yeah, experienced absolutely. that. And then, but then, raising Eve, for example, every time we've had a health issue with Eve or just a worry, you know, we get onto Yahoo Answers, for example, and we do a little, just do a Google search, and inevitably it lands on Yahoo Answers mostly. And you're right; you get the the extremes, and hopefully, it, well, hopefully, it's not just us who are able to see the extremes, and other people aren't falling falling vulnerable to that or something but out of that you get some sense of truth and reassurance i mean the very first thing you get is reassurance that other people are going through this um you think you know the only one in the world that's dealing with a kid that can't pass a poo for example and and you know you get on there and you find that thousands of people are going through the same thing and that's that's at least worth something right there that's just a block in the data chain you need to work it out with a pencil who is good data who is really good data you know the wisdom of wisdom of uh, crowdsourcing and similar maybe it's just about exploiting the information overload of the web you know we're exploiting we're exploiting things in order to realise answers whereas in the past we would have somehow semantically perhaps referenced their mother-in-law for a brief minute to get the same advice. But we're spending countless hours scouring through data to find a very simple fucking answer, which is push on the perineum, apply water to mouth. I think what you're... In the 1950s, you would have... You, you had experts like Dr. Spock who 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 dictated or, or who you know determined or, or ushered forth what was the appropriate thing to do but now yeah, you, uh, they arrived every now, Saturday morning but now he goes to YouTube and uh, Google and uh, and and crowdsources answers and that's very different from the Dr. Spock era of the 1950s I, I think I think the I think the era that Alex was referring to the way your mother-in-law was within touch was hmm. pre-industrial well, oh, not sure. Yeah, the mother in law. No, I think the thing about uh, you, what, what Did Lee's someone mention aspidestras? No, what, what Lee's referring to the pre industrial knowledge is, yeah. of course, where women had that knowledge and it was traditional. And in the, 19, in the industrial era, uh, with the whole rationalisation of, of, of science and medicine, there was an attempt by male dominated scientific knowledge to, to sort of basically uh, make irrelevant women's knowledge and tradition and, uh, and, and, and the mother-in-law and say that there's a scientific answer to everything. Hence the Dr. Spock thing where you, you, you weigh your baby and you, everything you know, follows from that. 
Now but also the, the the trains, the automobiles, and the tele, tele, telephones yeah. um, led up to the nuclear family where uh, uh, not all of us have the mother-in-law next door That's and right. probably most That's of us don't and no. don't even have aunties and wet nurses or none of that. We're just sort of isolated in our rooms raising kids and it's entirely unnatural. That's yeah. right. That's right. Exactly. Mm. Especially when wet nurses are concerned. <laughs> well, you're the wet nurse, Alex. Every time you put a mix of a formula in a bottle in your baby's mouth that's you the witness <laughs> that's it but i know i know i know that, that at least i know that that powder that was mixed into milk came from about forty-five thousand different sources and there's spartane that's in it hasn't yet been tested on humans and it needs to be tested on my baby yeah and it's not a concentrated mix of fire retardant toxin that's coming out of the breast <laughs> Well, made in China. Yeah. <laughs> so your, your point about looking for information, though, so, no, like medical things on online. I mean, um, the, it has been an enormous resource. But but I, I agree too with what Alex was saying that sometimes you can. There is so much information, it becomes overwhelming. And how mm. do you decide? You know, I think this is where people find. As they had trusted friends, they have trusted sources now. Mm. Trusted machines. Well, so yeah, that that um, maybe highlights the point about us are in some ways a trusted source with each other. So we know that if we want to find out something about audio recordings, we contact Stefan. If we want to find out about South Australian um, TAFE Institute structures, we talk to um, Michael, amongst other things, and etc. So we've got our trusted sources on, on what we're learning here. But that's the difficulty thing, isn't it, to find the trusted source? I think I can manage the overwhelming sources of information, but actually I find very difficult finding the trusted sources hmm. that you can ask by voice. Yeah, I agree with you, and that, that, that is an issue of digital literacy, and it's, a, it's a, challenging, a, challenging, a challenging thing to do. Enter Howard Rheingold. Enter Howard Rheingold, indeed. <laughs> He's got a whole book on it. We should have a whole session on that. Yeah, well, he does, yeah. Well, it's one of his, one of his uh, core literacies, curation or... Um, hmm. It was interesting, one of the iPad um, one of the Apple guys, they talked about teachers as curators. So Joyce's PhD is rising in currency every day. <laughs> yeah. Well, so what does Howard, what does Howard say on, in NetSmart about how to, um, you know, break the ring, how to find the active community and get into it? Step up, only just read sort of 50 pages. Have you got more... Can you answer Lee's question? Uh, look, I'm still at chapter one too. I have to, I'm first to admit, um, but I've, I've been circling around Howard's ideas around this for a bit. Um, yeah, okay. How does one? Yeah, that's a good. That's a very good question, actually. I, I think uh, it's what 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 would what would Howard's answer be there? Trying to trying to sort of channel Howard. Um, I think it's about yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's about trying to think. Well, let's break. Let's break, break the Howard ring. How do we go about breaking the Howard ring? Do we just ring him up? No, it's not going to work. We we could. Can I send him an email? It'll probably work. Yeah, yeah. He responds to emails. Yeah, he's been around a long time. Hashtag I, Howard. Yeah, I, I think what he what he's trying to do is that he understands the importance of being connected more than anyone he understands that value but he also understands the enormous dangers of being just overwhelmed or just being bombarded or allowing your attention 
mentioned yeah. to be, to be uh, he, he says, in the early part of his book, he says, if you allow yourself to be distracted by the flow of information, then you, you can be, this is dangerous. Well, not dangerous, but it's problematic. And he says that, you know, you can only have so many ideas in your focus at a certain time. And if you allow, every time you shift your focus to something, you lose 15 minutes. It mm. takes 15 minutes for the human mind to just basically reorientate itself and get back on track. And one of the things about hyper connectivity is that it's constantly inviting you and seducing you to shift focus. And this is problematic. But, you know, it is also enormously powerful. I mean, unlike, say, Nicholas Carr, who wants to say that this is the evil of modern society and is it our downfall, Howard says... There's an enormous power in this, but you have to understand that it can also be problematic, and you have to understand how to harness it, hone it, and 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 and, and you know benefit from it, but not not. You know. well, I mean, a, a silly okay. analogy would be like the telephone was a great invention for connecting with people and getting help hmm. when you needed it, but if you didn't want it to interrupt your family time, you took it off the hook at dinner time. Yeah, yeah. Well, that'd be a good analogy. My parents did that too. Um, it's like uh, I suppose it, this might be a time to talk about that Queensland University, uh, not Queensland, Queensland Department of Education trainings report on I, iPads and uh, and all other reports I've read like it. That's the problem. I think maybe is too easy to point out is that we have these um, public servants who work really hard to get a project going. They do the project and. No one seems to have a problem in that person writing the report. And so there are, it's a sort of a foregone conclusion that the report will be all about success because uh, very rarely do I write a report that highlights or goes deep in any of those difficult, displacing um, um, areas. And so those extremes like Carr was saying it's the evil, that's the counterbalance because everywhere we've looked in the last four years and we've been party to it is just the the wonders and the and the promise and uh, all of that stuff about mm. technology and the likes of um, what's his name Andrew Keane come along and and do the do the op- extreme in the opposite direction and we sort of you know that's only one voice in a sea of twenty uh, and somehow that offers some sort of balance so I just wish we could be more balanced in our everyday I'm including myself here and in all fairness to I think um, to Howard he's, he's quite balanced in his in his argument I'll give him that. What do you okay, I, I must need to go deeper on the surface. It doesn't appear so. Okay. I think well, I've had some major stouches with him online, particularly in Google Chat, where he has uh, disagreed with Professor Roger Clark's analogy of data violence. He said that it's absolute bullshit and there is nothing monitoring us more than uh, we want to beat up and that we're living on perceived realities that are not actualized and therefore we should be more circumspect we should be more circumspect of ourselves than we should be of listening to um, um, this beat up uh, now we're humans after all I think that's what he was arguing within his comments he said you know come on we're humans we're in, we're super intelligent and as you put and I heard that actually the other day um, a, a lawyer at a social media higher ed conference said for goodness sake 
there's 40 massive computers in this room and they're far more intelligent than any of these uh, so-called apps that we're adding to our very basic devices. So what if we're carrying it around? So maybe there's an actual and perceived thing here we've got to think about. I think that's what I take away from Howard's stuff, especially when you point back to his Smart Mobs books. I don't know if you've ever read Smart Books by Howard Rangel. And, I mean, it, and it fits with the notion of he's about taking responsibility Right. So whatever you're doing with technology, know what it is you're doing and know what it is that's taking you away from your goal. So just be mindful. But it's an old phrase. It's an old concept. But be mindful, particularly on the internet. Otherwise, you'll end up down this lane where you're drifting away and achieving nothing. Yep. Mindfulness. That's right. That's one of his one of his key uh, things. Mindfulness. Yeah. It's amazing how quickly two or three hours can slip away. He actually makes a little list when he sits down each morning and the list is what he wants to achieve that day and periodically through the day he looks at that list and just cross-checks what he's been doing, say, for the last half hour and did it add to or get him closer to his goals. And if it hasn't, he re-evaluates his goals or he stops what he's doing. He's one of these task-driven people in that description. You know, I'm not one of those people. I've got sort of general ideas and I spend however long it takes to get a lead and uh, and that. But I suppose in that mindfulness, I'm trying to do it in in retrospect. Like, uh, again, that biomass one is the only one I've really been mindful in retrospect of is going back and and looking at step-by-step the things I was doing and some of them I think are unusual like you know starting a Wikipedia article to try and crowdsource other people's efforts to find references to information that appears rare on the internet and things like that but then walking into a plumber's shop because I'm empowered with certain lingo and know-how thanks to YouTube and suddenly the experience in the plumber's shop is a lot better than if I was just to be an amateur and not even knowing no, the no, basic no. And, but then, then compare that to the universities and the polytechs that I walked in on and you can't get in on that circle at all unless you're an enrolled student you know they'll look at your watch they'll look at their watch they say who are you they don't want to you know it's just a remarkable extreme of the um, thing I'm talking about on the internet so the universities and, and tapes and stuff are a complete lost cause well they're often mm. elitist as well Lee. yeah 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 and they think it's necessary to be that I don't know they awareness of the efficiency gains. Well, of course, in, the, in that epic video that you referred to, that's the end game, is that universities or campuses and or this become elitist institutions uh, satisfying the needs of the ultra uber-wealthy for, for just, you know, the campus experience. Whitlam would cry. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, Thomas Holt would emerge from the sea. Oh, we can only hope. We just didn't know what he has to say. Well, he was wearing well, a he might, tool on his hip. He might end up in uh, refugee um, detention. <laughs> yeah, where are your papers? Oh, yeah, there you go. That's right. <laughs> They're a little out of date. They'll probably send him to Christmas Island or Nauru or something, you know. Poor old Harold, yeah. Holt, Harold Holt stuck in a offshore processing camp. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm still with the students through friends. 
<laughs> well, look, we've been one hour twenty-eight. Perhaps we should uh, we should uh, we should call it a night. Yeah, well, yeah. Michael's just yep. pulled open another bottle of wine out of the fridge. Oh, look, that's fine. So I know where we're heading. So I know where we're heading. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Lee, Lee, yes. Um, I have. Um, I have. I'm going to. I'm going to honour you tonight with my creativity. I haven't done it in a long period of time, but I'd like you to visit the Flickr feed in about half an hour's time. Uh, you've been taking screen grabs, haven't you? Yeah, I've been taking screen grabs of you. And, <laughs> and, they're, they're, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to, monotone, I'm going to monotone them and create a series called Ode to Lee. Oh, we wish you were here, or we wish you were there. <laughs> uh, no, you mean you wish you were where we are. Yeah, exactly. Fucking cold here. We're about to go to the football tomorrow, so yeah, yeah, mate. Yeah, mate. I wish I was uh, in a little town called Harrietville around about now, which is about a forty-minute drive yeah, down from Mount Hotham. About to get about to get a beautiful mm. dump of snow. Yeah, it is. Lee, so, Lee, I know you like the cold. It's an interesting question, though, that you raised. I think that as knowledge acquires, you do get the closed groups, but I think there'll always be new challenges and new areas opening up for the active circle as well. Well, I remember in Blog Talk Down Under in 2005, um, that's the one that um, Anne put put on in, in Sydney at Rushcutters Bay. It's archived on the net somewhere, but... There was a woman from South Australia, an American academic working at the university there, whose name I forget, but um, she talked about this thing, and this is 2005, breaking the ring, and people need to be writing and coming up with techniques on how to do that. So it's one thing to have just this kind of flat, overwhelming pile of information, but then to be able to find an access point into active information, so information that's in the process of being developed so that you can have an active role in it. Uh, I think, you know, we don't have many things about that. We've got plenty of things about how to start a blog and how to you know, generate a hangout and stuff mm. like that, but not, yeah. not much information about that final stuff. It would be inter interesting to graph the commercialization of the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Might be what? depressing too. Hmm. <laughs> Well, on that rather Vargarian <laughs> end, uh, perhaps the ring, uh, the ring cycle. Sorry, guys. That's all right. We should uh, end the formal podcast. Lord of the Ring cycle. I'll go and ask. I'll go and ask the guys at Harvard and MIT, Lee. See what they say. Yeah, yeah. Report back. Report back. Okay. See what they say about the the cult status they have uh, as well uh, over this thing. No, I don't think about. that. I don't want to be escorted from the premises. <laughs> oh, all right then. Uh, no. Well, I shall end. The and form. Julian Assange had a wonderful interview with Noam Chomsky on the uh, Julian Assange show, formerly known as The World Tomorrow. Or the, uh, rib, uh, I've watched that. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, send that through to us, Lee. I'd be interested in watching that. Me too. Mm. Uh, you get it on Russia Today YouTube. Uh, I'll try and if you go go to my um, plus stream, you'll find it's recently recently uh, posted oh, okay. there. Sorry. Yeah, that'd be good to watch. And if anybody's into good data visualizations, they can always go to Flowing Data. 
Blogger.com. It's a very interesting site. It's a blogger. Cool stuff. Flowingdata.com. Growth of the basketball uniform is his latest blog post. Alright. Well, excellent. Well, on that note, thanks everyone. It took a while for us to, I think, get into the uh, get into the groove. And uh, I think Google Hangouts is a potential uh, goer for uh, talking VTE in the future. So, yes. I'll raise a glass yeah. to you, Michael, too, and uh, to Alex. I'll see you guys. Good night, everyone. Good night, everybody. Good night. Remember, Lee. Costa. Mate, Costa. <laughs> <laughs>